Hello, Richard Lane here with the Lancet podcast for the issue dated February the 3rd to the 9th. In a moment, we'll hear about the remarkable story of a new technique to re-innovate a prosthetic limb after amputation. Before that, here are the other highlights from this week's issue. Health professionals around the world should speak out against execution and use their influence to persuade the public and those in power that capital punishment is a cruel and senseless practice that has no place in the 21st century. So states this week's lead editorial. This is linked to a comment where authors from the University of Florida deplore the use of lethal injection for capital punishment. Also this week, we launched a three-part series about sexual dysfunction. Even though many diseases and their treatments impair sexual function, medical publications often omit sexual issues and data on sexual dysfunction is limited. The first paper published in this week's issue proposes that physicians should take a sexual history as part of routine patient investigation as sexual symptoms can be a sign of serious underlying disease. Rosemary Basson from the British Columbia Centre for Sexual Medicine in Vancouver, Canada introduces the series in an accompanying comment. We published an important study concluding that routine vaccination against streptococcus pneumoniae is cost-effective and should be implemented to reduce mortality among children in developing countries. And there is early promise of a non-invasive test for prenatal diagnosis for conditions like Down syndrome, detailed in an article published online on February the 2nd, which will also be in next week's journal. But the main focus this week is about a new technique called targeted muscle reinnovation that allows a neurocontrolled prosthetic arm to move as if it was a real limb. Earlier, I spoke to one of the study authors, Dr. Todd Kiken, from the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago in the United States. And apologies for the slightly fuzzy sound quality of the interview. Dr. Kiken, you're one of the authors of a remarkable story, and this concerns a prosthetic arm given to a young woman who had experienced a motorcycle accident back in 2005. The remarkable story here seems to me the way in which the lady in question has managed to regain sensation in her prosthetic arm by some very clever rerouting of her neurons. Can you just outline the principle of, of this procedure and how it differs to different kind of prosthesis methods that have been used before? Well, the challenge with upper limb prostheses is how you tell an arm what to do. We have motorized elbows and wrists and hands, but how do you tell them what to do, especially with a high amputation like this young lady where she lost her whole arm? The approach we've used is to take the nerves that used to go to the arm and reroute them. Those nerves contain all the motor information you would need to control an arm, as well as the possibility of giving sensation feedback. The sensation nerves are contained there as well. So we've surgically moved those nerves um, onto her chest muscle and skin and let the nerves grow into that muscle and skin. Now, muscle serves as a biological amplifier of the motor command to allow better operation of the prosthesis, and skin acts as a transducer, if you would, to give input to the hand sensation nerves. So when you touch this woman on her reinnervated chest skin, she feels it as if it's in her missing hand. This is a very powerful concept for us because it now allows us to have the potential of letting a patient feel what they touch with their prosthesis as if it were their own hand. We hope to have sensors in a prosthetic hand that quantify um, touch and pressure and all these kind of things and then be able to give that information back to the chest skin that feels like hand 
there's a very natural and intuitive link. How long does it take the 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 nerves and the muscle in the chest to how long does that process take for the, for the rerouting of the nerves before it start, started becoming effective? After surgery, it takes about three months, uh, two to three months before you get your first little twinges of reinnervation, and by four or five months, there's generally good reinnervation. So, what is the young woman able to do now that? she wouldn't have been able to do if she just had an ordinary prosthesis. The key to all of our patients are they're able to control their hand and their elbow in a very intuitive way. Now the hand opening and closing nerves are used to open and close the hand. So you just think, close your hand, and it closes. In the same way, um, this young lady can control her elbow. Um, and she can do them both at the same time, which is a first in our field. On top of that, she can still use some shoulder motion to control the third joint in her prosthesis, the wrist rotator. So she can use her hand, elbow, wrist all at the same time and, and most of it in a much more intuitive manner so it's easier to use. How, how long does it take to train the brain to understand that rewiring? Well, that's the neat part is that it's, you don't have to retrain the brain. So the brain has, sends a signal out and it goes down the hand-closing nerve and the hand-closing nerve now makes a piece of chest muscle contract. The brain doesn't know it's going to the chest. It thinks it's going to the hand. Uh, and it doesn't matter because we're using that signal from that muscle to close the hand. So the brain doesn't have to relearn it, and it's more intuitive. I kind of think of it like a phone cable. You're talk you and I are talking on the phone, and let's say uh, you, know, you hang up and your phone breaks, and I call you back, and you put in a new phone. All the information going on in our conversation, my talking and listening, your talking and listening, is going over a wire, okay, like a nerve. Now, if your phone breaks, i.e. your phone has an amputation, we've lost the motors and, and, and the receiver and the speaker, well, you put a new one in, I call you and talk to you, I don't know you have a new phone, I don't care, because I'm still sending my voice and I'm listening to yours in very much the same way that uh, Claudia's chest skin works. You know, her arm was lost. We now have new muscle and new skin, and her brain doesn't know it's different muscle and skin. And we use those signals to control an arm in a natural way. And in terms of the tasks that the lady is now able to do with that arm, are there examples of daily living, everyday things that are now possible with the, with the prosthesis that she has that wouldn't have been possible uh, under a different setup? Well, it's, it's a matter of all the simple things. So, for example... You know, Claudia likes bananas, and she can hold banana adequately with her new prosthesis and peel it, whereas before she just couldn't get the hand in the position fast enough and easy enough to make it worthwhile. She uses her arm for very specific things, mostly around the house with cooking, uh, laundry, um, and things like that. It's still, you know, a, a very primitive device compared to her good hand, and so she still uses her right arm for, you know, 99% of stuff. But her left hand can get into a position to be helpful much easier and faster. So, for example, she was able to eat a steak um, because she was able to hold on to a fork and hold that steak uh, well enough um, with her new prosthesis, which she could have never done with her old one. And in terms of this new technique of this, you know, this re-innovation, this targeted re-innovation, as you're calling it in the study, does this have implications for other prostheses? Obviously, I'm thinking of knees and legs and that sort of thing as well. Yes, we hope to apply this to 
um, all levels of the arm, and uh, we're looking forward to trying it in legs. It's an interesting time to do this because we've just now had companies coming out with powered artificial knees and ankles. Well, so we've got new, new powered legs, but how do you control them? How do you tell them what to do? We think that using targeted reinnervation to get more information about what the person wants to do with their leg, as well as give them some sensation back about the ground they're walking on, will be very, very uh, powerful. And have there been any other amputees that you've dealt with since this lady? Because you have first started dealing with her back in 2005, didn't you? Yes, Claudia was actually the fourth person we did the procedure on, and the first woman. Um, and we have done the procedure on three people since then. All with the similar outcomes? Um, uh, the three cents, well, of the ones before, uh, three out of the four worked very well. One did not because that patient had a nerve injury that was in an until we were in the operating room. Sorry, I've just, the line just broke again then. If I could just, uh, just the beginning of that question again about, about the other ones you've done. So we did uh, four patients before this young lady, um, and three of those were successful. One did not work because the patient had a nerve injury that we didn't discover until the time of surgery. Um, after this young lady, we have done three more surgeries. Uh, we know that two of those patients have had good reinnervation, and we're just now starting the process of putting them, uh, fitting them with a prosthesis. And the the last one is in the recovery mode, and we haven't uh, learned yet how well his reinnervation is going to work. And finally, how easily are other centers going to be able to introduce this kind of technique to deal with uh, prostheses in this way? Well, I think it should be pretty straightforward. The surgical techniques are not hard. It's uh, you know not a difficult microscope case. The surgical techniques are pretty straightforward. What we have to do is, is educate folks as to the why and what the principles are so that the surgical planning happens well. And we're in the process of doing that. We're excited to be working with um, um, surgeons at uh, Walter Reed and Brook Army Medical Center in the United States and the University of Washington and, and hope to collaborate with more people because we're now getting out of the experimental phase. We've demonstrated that this surgery is successful and we want other people to start doing it and improving upon it. Dr. Kaiken, thank you very much for talking to The Lancet. Thank you so much. Dr. Todd Kaiken, concluding this week's podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next week.